You want to do it. You've been thinking about doing it for a long time. You've been dreaming about doing it. By God, you're going to do it. You're going to start your own woodworking business. But then... Hi, my name is Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, episode number 67, Starting a Woodworking Business List. Yeah, I know you're ready to go. You've been fantasizing about this for a long time. You want to start making money woodworking. But we get all excited. We get all ready to to launch, and then we don't. Now, I want you to pay attention to the title of this episode, Starting a Woodworking Business List. I didn't say start your woodworking business in 25 easy steps. I didn't say start your woodworking business in just three easy steps. No, didn't do that. This is a start your woodworking business list. Why a list? Well, we like lists. We have all kinds of lists. We have to-do list. We have grocery list, shopping list. I mean, come on, we're woodworkers. We have a materials list. We have a cut list. We do list. And I think the biggest thing to consider here is that instead of a start your woodworking business in three easy steps, one, two, three, this isn't a one, two, three process. And I think this is something that hang up a lot of people when they start to go through and trying to launch their business. They're trying to do it one, two, three, or A, B, C, and it doesn't work that way. You'll get to two and just kind of bog out. It's like, ah, yeah, something else came up. And, you know, it it sits for another three months until that urge, that yearning comes up again. So we're going to dive into that today. And here's the thing with lists. Let's use your grocery list as an example. When you write out your grocery list, you put on eggs and milk and bread, uh, turmeric, green peppers, mushrooms, bag of chips, hamburg, so on and so forth. But when you get to the store, how do you use your list? You don't go to the eggs first, then across the store to the bread aisle, and then back over the other side of the store for the milk. No, you don't do that. You walk into the, the, the front door you probably turn right, and the first thing you pick up is the mushrooms. Then you go over and grab the green peppers. Then you go up and grab the, well, bag of chips. Hang a left, now you're in the meat aisle, and you add your hamburger. You go down through the dairy case, and you pick up your milk. Then your eggs. So what I'm saying is that we use a list in a way that is not one, two, three. We use a list as a reminder, as a way to keep track of things that you need on your grocery run. This is the same thing that I recommend that you do when starting your business. This is a list of things you need to do, but not in any particular order. Now, we can break this list into two, I call them sides, of your start your woodworking business list. We have the shop side, and then we have the business side. So we're going to concentrate on the shop side first. Number one, ah, there I used a numeral, but this is really, really important. Number one, decide on what product or service 
your professional woodworking business is going to provide. This is really key because this will influence all the other 24 things on the list. Yeah, there literally are 24 things on this list. And if you're a little shaky about what that might be, go back and listen to episode number seven. You don't have to dial down to be 100% perfectly niched. I'm going to make laser engraved coasters. I mean, that sounds like a great idea, but you could also say, I'm going to produce kitchen cabinets, which will probably entail bathroom vanities, bookcases, maybe the occasional build-in. You could just say, I'm going to be a custom woodworker. That is really broad. I mean, you could be making a rocking chair one week and repairing a rocking chair the next week. You could be building kitchen cabinets and then going over and laser engraving coasters. But you need to decide where you're at and where you're headed. On this list, your shop side list, is your workspace. And I think this is the next thing you need to figure out once you have some idea of what type of woodworking you either want to make or as a service, you know, furniture repair, finishing, whatever. You need to evaluate your shop space. And if you selected, I want to make kitchen cabinets, and you have a 300 square foot shop, you might want to rethink that one. Honestly, I have built kitchen cabinets just in a slightly larger shop than that, and it's no fun. (laughs) I'm here to tell you it is just no fun. I've tried to come up with kind of an average minimum size for doing kitchen cabinets, and I can't get anything nailed down perfectly, but I'm thinking around a thousand square feet is where you need to start looking. 2,000 is going to lead to a happier life. Anyway, maybe you want to do antique canoe restoration. Again, in a 416 square foot shop, well, it can be done. Would a 2,000 square foot shop be nicer? Yes, absolutely. So now we need to evaluate if I want to do kitchen cabinets, but my attached garage, my basement is just not appropriate for that. Well, now maybe we could consider building a shop on your property or maybe renting space. You might be able to rent a thousand, two thousand square feet for a few hundred dollars a month. It just depends your location, where you're at, and what's available. So after we get that ironed out, think about the tools that you have. Do you have the things that you need to build kitchen cabinets? Do you have the things you need to do laser engraved coasters? Do you have a laser engraver that is appropriate for that type of work? Again, this is all part of the list. It's not necessarily a one, two, three, but it's an overall list. And you'll see how this all comes together, you know, towards the end. Supplies, that's pretty easy to come across unless you're doing something really, really specialized that you might have to have something produced first. Um, A bad example would be doing slab river tables with hairpin legs. Where are you going to get the hairpin legs without costing a small fortune? Materials. You want to go into reproduction 
uh, of Chippendale 18th century chairs, mahogany. Can you locate a good source of reasonably priced mahogany, genuine mahogany? Those are things that you're going to have to, to track down. Before you really get everything together, I mean, get these ducks lined up before we get into the business side of things. This is why we're concentrating on the shop side right now. Storage space. If you have 300 square feet in your basement, attached garage, you're going to probably need some storage space. You might even consider one of the commercial storage spaces that you people typically store mattresses and old bed stuff and things that stuff that they store in. I think that would make a wonderful storage, you know, for, for wood, for some tools that you rarely use. Think about that. I have no idea how expensive that is these days, um, but it's something to consider. You have to get these things out of the way before we move into the business side. So I think you've got that nailed down. Let's go ahead and talk about the business side of things. The first thing, try to avoid this, but some things are really necessary. The first thing on the business side is your business name. Why did we go through the shop side of things before we got to the business name? Because whatever you decide that you're going to either make or the service that you're going to provide is directly influential on your business name. Maybe you want to be George's Cabinet Shop or... XYZ laser engraved coasters or coaster castle. If you go back to episode number three, your business name, we talk about this. You know, how important it is to get a, a good business name and the steps that you can follow to, to do that. Once we have the business name, you need, I recommend that you get your URL, your universal routing locator. That's the www.workingatwoodworking.com. I've been using Google domains to do that. There are like a billion other registrars out there. I kind of like Google, 12 bucks to register for one year. Simple, pretty easy, not endorsed. Yeah, right. So that's my two cents. If you want to take a deep dive into this, episode number four, your social media. This is your Facebook, your Instagram, your Yelp, your YouTube, your TikTok, and all the various flavor of social media that's out there. I'm not suggesting that you use all this social media every single day. You would never get any work done. I am saying or suggesting that you sign up, you know, sign up to Pinterest, get your name, whatever, on Pinterest, on Yelp, on YouTube. You never know when you may start to use that. And more importantly, it is yours and maybe somebody in the other side of the country, same name, same idea, decides to start up a business and there could be confusion there. So if you have it, it is yours, and you can do with it what you want to in the future. And yes, I think I have an episode on that, but I got tired of looking things up. So you can scroll through and, and find that yourself. 
website. I know this hurts a lot of people when we when I suggest that you have a website. You have the URL. You have georgescabinetshop.com. That is fantastic. You could sit on that for, well, frankly, years as long as you renew that URL, you know, every year. You could also, on most registrars, instead of doing it a yearly renewal, you can do three years, five years, ten years. Just an idea. Your website. There is a episode where we talk about uh, building your, your own website or hiring someone to build your own website. We can make this super, super simple or we can make this really, really technical and difficult. There's a lot of different flavors. There's a lot of different benefits and pain points involved here. Listen to the episode. You'll, you'll get my ideas on this. You can do this simply for not a lot of money. In fact, you can even go into Google Domains and go to the website creator and put up a website. It's going to look good. You're not going to be able to do a bunch with it. You can't do e-commerce on it, but you can add various pages to it. And it is a giant billboard on the internet that people can find you with. The other thing while you're doing this, you need to go in and sign up for the your Google business account. Having that name allows you to do that Google business account, and you will be surprised how many people find you off of Google business. Okay, let's talk about finance. You're going to need to keep your expenses separate from your home account. Absolutely imperative. Well, not like really imperative, but when it comes tax time, you're going to want to calculate all of your sales, all of your expenses. When you subtract your expenses from your sales, that gives you your profit. That becomes really important whenever we're doing our taxes. We don't want to commingle these two things. You don't want to go through, you know, a grocery, you know, run to pick up something versus the money you spent at lumberyard for materials. That is no fun in anyone's book. And in the unlikely event the IRS should ask questions, it is going to be a freaking nightmare. So please, please, please set up a separate business account for your business. This isn't rocket science. There actually is an episode that I did on this. It is having a separate account, probably at the bank that you're already banking at or the credit union that you're, you're banking at. But it's really important to have this separate. Every expense for the business comes out of the business account. You probably will need a checking account and a savings account. And this comes really important later whenever you're setting up automatic drafts and, and things like that. The other thing you'll, you'll need is a debit card or some people might choose a credit card. I'm not a big fan, but you know, to each their own, you do you. I like the debit card because it comes directly out of the checking account. And if there's no money in the checking account, I'm not going to dig a giant hole for myself. Did that twice before, not doing it again. After you get your, your banking situated, you're going to need to find a third-party payment processor. 
That's TTPP, third-party payment processor. What the heck is that? You'll have people come into your shop and ask if you do Cash App or Venmo or PayPal. And you probably want to accommodate them. You know, if you're just taking cash and check, guess what? Very few people work in cash and check. Guaranteed, younger folks do not do cash or checks. In fact, you might have to explain to them what a check is. So you need one of these third-party payment processors. I just received a Zettel, I think that's how you pronounce it, a card reader from PayPal that I'm going to experiment with. I've honestly not had this before. And yeah, quite frankly, it has been kind of a pain in the butt for some of my customers. I would end up sending them an electronic invoice that they then could pay, you know, with their debit or credit card online. But having something in the shop, a card reader that you can accept a credit card, debit card right there, I think is going to be a real good idea for you. Business cards. <laughs> yeah, I know that's old school. They work. They still work after all these centuries. They don't have to be expensive. You can go online and get like 500 for free. Eh, they're not the greatest business cards in the world. Spend a few bucks. You can even go to an office supply store or go online and get the Avery or other brand business card packet paper thingy that you load these into your printer and if you have a little bit of skill you know with doing pagination word document that type of thing you can create your own business cards and print them off it is pretty economical and maybe when you're just starting out you don't want 500 business cards because you're not exactly sure how this is all going to work out you may need to shift or pivot here or there and you don't want to sink a whole bunch of money into something that might change. This might be a good idea if you, you have those capabilities. But I think it's really important to have business cards because those are the things that get passed out. If you start doing craft shows and things like that, you most definitely want business cards. You want to have a custom business card holder that you have crafted out of maybe a, a unique piece of wood, something with, you know, spectacular grain. If you're doing laser laser engraved coasters, laser engrave that. You know, make this your own. It has an impact. You may not think it does. It may seem silly, but it really does have an impact. That kind of separates someone who is really paying attention to the details and trying to get everything right from someone who's just kind of throwing up a card table and, yeah, I make these. You want to buy them. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that, but I think you probably want a little higher standard. Insurance. Yeah, that's something that we all deal with. I would suggest check with your homeowner's insurance. Depending on what type of products you're making, laser engraved coasters, that might be covered under your, your homeowner's insurance. If you are doing craft shows, you're going to probably need a separate insurance either a writer from your homeowner's insurance or your renter's insurance, or you can get, I think it's called artisan insurance for a few hundred dollars a year that covers you for the different arts and craft shows that you might want to attend. 
most arts and crafts shows will require proof of insurance. If you're doing things like maybe in your school or your church, then they're probably not going to, but it's good to have if that's the type of work you're doing. If you're doing kitchen cabinets, if you're doing build-ins, if you're in people's homes, you need contractor's insurance. It's pretty standard in the industry. They typically don't ask a lot of questions. I had one run-in with an insurance company when I got really tired of filling out a bunch of forms and answering a bunch of questions. I said, just make sure that I'm covered for everything that I do on my website. And they actually granted the insurance. I made my, my premium payment. And like two months later, I got a rejection letter and they had checked out my website and saw that I restore antique canoes and nope, they were having no parts of that. It just simply said boats. So if you do boats, that's different, I guess, even though you're restoring 100-year-old canoes. But, you know, I had to, to switch insurance companies off of that. So give that some thought. It really depends on an individual's risk tolerance and the type of work that they're doing. Now, also on our list is office space. Office space is important. Now, you don't necessarily have to have a corner of your 300 square foot workshop designated as an office space. This can be in your home. It needs to be an area that is used exclusively for your office work. This could be, you know, the fourth bedroom, third bedroom that nobody ever uses. It just kind of basically collects stuff. That's where you put everything that you don't want anyone to see when companies coming over. Start using that as your office. You get to deduct your office space on your tax return. There's a whole section on this and they ask a bunch of questions. Anything dealing with taxes, you need to talk to your tax professional that we'll get to in a moment. Computer. It's really hard to run a business without a computer these days. There's email. There's all kinds of payments that you can do on the computer. You can shop on the computer. I pay my taxes on the computer. So that is a really important thing. It doesn't have to be a super duper fancy computer. It's probably the computer that you have in your home right now. Laptops are wonderful. Desktops are wonderful. You know, whatever you particularly need. And there is a complete episode on your office setup and the computer and all the associated software that you might need. I don't remember which episode is. it is. It might be like 9 or 10 or 12, but you can look that up. I encourage you to listen to that one. Bookkeeping. This goes along with having your own separate checking and savings account. This is really important that you keep track of your business expenses. You don't want to be sitting there April 11th going through the shoebox of all the receipts. Not a fun time because our taxes are due the April 15th or they're about depending on how the, the weekend falls. You don't want to wait to the last minute to do this. Now, if you are doing your banking online, which I've been doing for years, 
you have every single expense at your fingertip. You can download that, you know, each month's activities, pull that into a spreadsheet, sort it, organize it, categorize it, and boom. Pretty easy. In fact, it's so easy that you're tempted, like I am, to not keep track of this on a daily or even weekly basis. And it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't updated this in like three months. <sighs> well, modern technology, you can actually update that in probably about 20, 25 minutes without too much pain and suffering. It's one of the conveniences of the modern world. Tax software. You can do this yourself. You can hire a professional. I would suggest that if you're just thinking about, you know, getting this business up and off the ground, you go sit down with a tax professional. Just an introductory, hi, my name is, I'm in the process of starting a business called this, and I just wanted to chat to see if we could work together. And most tax professionals will be more than happy to do this at no cost, kind of an introductory interview. And you can go over some things. Maybe their services would be incredibly valuable to you. Maybe they're not, but you can get some advice. And you've made a contact that if you do get stuck in the future, you can call them up and take advantage of their services. Now, we already mentioned the third-party payment processors, and this will also come in. Typically, you access that uh, via your computer online, and you can record those transactions likewise. Okay, I haven't been keeping track of the exact number that we're on because other than just a couple number ones that we had to do, which was what do you want to do as a professional woodworker, and your business name, the order's not necessarily of any particular importance. We do come down to the business plan. Now, usually, if you look up how to start a business online, that's probably number one. You have to do this before you do anything else. And quite honestly, I think a lot of would-be business owners shut down right there. It's like, no, I'm not going to do a business plan. This was all the rage, what, 20, 30 years ago? Books, seminars, forms that you could buy and fill out, consultants. And I'm sure that it was valuable for a lot of people, but don't let this dissuade you. We are doing a business plan right now. Yeah, you didn't even know that, did you? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're working on our business plan right now because in essence, we are putting down on paper what we're going to do in our business and that is what a business plan is. So don't sweat the name business plan. I recommend that you don't go running off to the bank and apply for a loan that they're not going to give you anyway with a formal business plan. Because remember, what I'm advocating is the small shop, the one-person shop, that's you, working out either a shop that you already use or maybe a rented space. I'm not talking about, you know, 15,000 square feet that you rent in a industrial park and you have, you know, 20 employees. No, that's not what this working at woodworking is about. This is solo entrepreneur, side gig, 
part-time or full-time woodworking. Marketing plan is part of the quote-unquote business plan that you'll see on a lot of uh, websites. We are doing that. We've already talked about your business name and your URL. We've talked about the social media platforms that I would encourage you to sign up for. This is all part of your, your marketing plan. I would worry a little more about just getting this thing up off the ground and getting your first customer than a real formal marketing plan. I think you will find in most parts of the U.S. and probably around the world that when people find out that you can build something or fix something, you're going to start getting customers. I don't think you need to take a ad out in the local newspaper or do a radio spot or even record a video production for a TV spot. I don't think you need to do that. And one of the dangers of doing something like that is instead of getting two or three customers a week, you'll get two or three hundred customers a week. And that is the surest way to go out of business. Besides, you have business cards. And between business cards and word of mouth, those are the first and second most effective marketing techniques that you can do. And you can also go into the, depending on what you're doing, you know, if you're making laser engraved coasters and you want to get some more exposure and there is a local car show, that's probably not where you want to be. If there's a local home show, that probably is where you want to be. Set up a booth, do a nice job, and you will get some exposure there. There's other podcasts that we talk about, you know, doing different things to get business and to get that marketing exposure. Now, the last thing on the list, this is actually number 25, if that nobody is keeping track of, your standard shop procedures, your SOP. There is a podcast on this. This is just the way you're going to operate your shop. It's some idea of what hours you're going to keep. It might be standard 9 to 5. It might be 6 to 6. It might be 6 to 8 in the evening. You know, whatever your situation allows, you have some type of standard operating procedures, standard hours. Not so much for customers to show up, although you could put this on your Google business account and on your website, but just kind of mentally, this is my side gig. This is what I need to do. And of course, since you're in business for yourself and the wife wants to take a vacation, yeah, take a vacation. You're the boss. You can do this type of stuff. Want to go out to a dinner one night? Yeah, go out to dinner. Don't work in the shop. Of course, you might be there one o'clock in the morning cutting out laser engraved coasters. But, you know, this is the wonderful thing about being a solo entrepreneur as a professional woodworker. But your standard operating procedures, they're going to change. So when you write them out, eh, you might want to use pencil because they're going to change. But it's just a way of kind of mentally putting something down that keeps the gears all moving in the same direction. 
Not a huge thing. A lot of people don't even do it. I haven't actually written this out for years, but I just kind of know that I've got to do this before I can do that. And if I don't do this, then that happens and that's going to be really, really bad. So there you go. I suggest that you approach your business startup with a list and not a numbered list. Use the grocery list instead of the 1, 2, 3, 79, 80, 81 type list. I think number one is going to take a whole bunch of pressure off you. You don't have to get the business account set up if you have the opportunity to really kind of nail down your website. So these things just all kind of mesh together. And I think that if you do it this way, you're going to be a little more successful. So recommendations for this episode, the earlier episodes of Working at Woodworking. I mean, one through 15, I think, are kind of the core episodes, but that will give you a really good foundation uh, to get started here. And also, kind of reluctantly recommending that you watch some of the thousands and thousands of YouTube videos on how you can make $10,000 million woodworking. There's all kinds of them. Some of them are really, really good with really good information and other ones are not so good. But you'll be able to figure that out. There is a lot of really good information on there and check it out on a Saturday morning, you know, Sunday evening when you have nothing else to do. Miss Jobs. I got an email from a lady. She wants a built-in banquet. No, that's not right. A banquette or a banquette or a banquetta. You probably know this as built-in seating. This is the booth at Texas Roadhouse, you know, where there's no chairs. There's just a like a slab with usually a cushion on top of it. Yeah, fancy word, uh, banquette. Um, I didn't know that one. Uh, needs to be 10 feet wide, or that would be long, with a lift top and storage underneath. That sounds very, very practical. Uh, shiplap front and angled back. Of course, typically about 12 to 15 degrees. You know, in Europe, this is kind of referred to as an ingle nook. Um, very popular. I've been asked to do several of these over the years. To be really honest with you, I just never got those jobs or took those jobs. The Journal of Light Construction magazine, which if you have the bend, I would recommend that you, you subscribe to that. It's free. Uh, they had a really, really good article in there uh, where this guy kind of step-by-step um, -step walked through how he builds these bonquettes on site and everything from, you know, ripping uh, hardwoods to uh, MDF panels um, instead of shiplap. Um, very, very good article. I, I, I recommend you check that out. That's Journal of Light Construction. It's jconline.com. I think. So I didn't take that job. I, I swamped. Special thanks to listeners in New York, New York. Thank you very much. And also to listeners in Taichung, Taiwan, uh, one of the cities on the West Coast, I believe. Really appreciate that. Of course, there's affiliate links in the show notes. 
everything from your business phone, which I actually didn't talk about today, but check that out. And there's also Taylor Tools in there that I think you'll find worth your while. So until next episode, happy woodworking.